to Hashtag Travel Talks. It's your podcast on the latest digital trends in travel and tourism marketing. And here's your host, Nolly Nicholas. Welcome to an episode of Travelcast. And today I have the great pleasure to receive Michael Noll. So welcome, Michael. Well, thank you. So can you present yourself, please? Well, um... I'm this uh, strange guy in Phoenix, Arizona, that does a lot of things in the blockchain space. I, uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO for a company called Blockchain Consultants. Um, our website is blockchainconsultants.io, and I, I bought that for $49 from GoDaddy. So that's, that's how long I've been doing blockchain. We also do different things. I uh, do blockchain weekly. Uh, every week I interview someone who's doing interesting things in the blockchain space. Um, uh, we do it in a kind of a, a panel, online panel, video environment, and I put that on my YouTube channel. Um, I have about 17,000 subscribers and get, I don't know, two, three, four thousand views a week, something like that, which is nothing YouTube standards, but in the blockchain space, it's pretty respectable, I guess. So that, that's the kind of stuff I do. Also, can you tell us why did you say, how did you came up to work with blockchain? Because you could, uh, I don't know, work with influencer marketing or video marketing, but why blockchain especially? Well, I do do influencer marketing and, and that kind of stuff. I, I, I really, my background is in finance. I, I spent 30 years as uh, in, in private equity, working with large private equity groups. Um, I was a, a middle market intermediary and you know, worked for uh, private equity groups to help them make acquisitions. Um, I retired for the first time in 2003, I think it was. And I don't know, that lasted maybe two or three weeks, I think. Just couldn't get the retirement down. I've, I failed miserably at retirement. But uh, I, I went to work doing some consulting gigs, that kind of stuff. Um, so I worked for small businesses and Small businesses needed marketing, so that's kind of where I got the experience on marketing. And I, I needed to to learn uh, internet marketing back in you know 2003 or so to help uh, uh, small businesses. Um, then in 2011, a friend of mine uh, started talking about mining, this thing called mining, and um, he wanted me to get involved in mining. And I said, "Look, I, I said I don't have any calluses on my hand, and I." You know, I don't think, a, you know, a shovel is going to be in my near future. He said, no, 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 no. It's this thing called cryptocurrency mining. And I said, oh, okay. So we started looking at cryptocurrencies and started mining uh, different types of altcoins. And uh, we had some fun doing that. That was that was kind of a blast. Um, then in 2014, we saw the, uh, the, the Ethereum uh, white paper by Vitalik Buterin. That kind of changed everything for us. Um, myself, based because I've had so much experience in in, um, <clears throat> in um, uh, private equity and working with businesses, I, I rapidly realized that smart contracts and this thing called Ethereum were, were going to rapidly take over the uh, uh, the planet. Um, and uh, it's it, it's progressing, progressing very rapidly. And uh, that's that's where we're at today. Blockchain is, is basically disintermediating brokers and and uh, other types of, of businesses, changing workflows, uh, because basically we we're able to transfer trust on the internet now using these things called smart contracts. So that's basically how I, I got involved. 
Okay. And can you explain what is blockchain, let's say, for someone who is really noob about the subject? Hmm. Blockchain for someone who's really new for the subject. Huh. Well, let's put it this way. Um, today in the United States, and you, and, and this is this is more of a European uh, audience. Is that correct? Yes, but also let's say U.S. and around the world also. Okay. Well, today in the U.S., it's very difficult to keep track of who owns a piece of property. We have this thing called title insurance. Um, it's very expensive, and every time we buy a piece of property, we have to get this thing called title insurance because uh, it's difficult to um, uh, to keep track of of land and who owns it because people do it, and people write things down, and people transpose numbers sometimes, and people are paid to do things that... Uh, Uh, you know, they shouldn't sometimes. And so uh, records get uh, transferred and, and deleted or moved around and they're incorrect. And it's very difficult for us to keep track of uh, who owns a piece of property. About They say about 20% of all transactions, real estate transactions in the United States have some sort of a, a flawed title on them. Uh, European communities experience a lot of the, the same types of things um, in keeping public records. Uh, in, uh, in keeping track of who, um, who has a visa, who, a working visa, who doesn't have a working visa, or where they're at, what they're doing, uh, who, um, uh, you know, anything that is, is tracked usually by a government voting, uh, voting is gamed, especially here in the United States. Um, I, I don't think that, uh, um, I'm, I'm going to comment on other countries and their voting practices, but, Uh, certainly, from the United States standpoint, I'm I'm, I'm sure we're, uh, we can be called a mockery in that in that in that regard. Um, so a, a lot of different types of, of data that is stored and kept is very difficult to keep accurate records across the board. Um, when we're looking at, at real, storing real estate, we're looking at um, uh, visas, we're looking at voting records. Uh, we're looking at all different types of things. It's very difficult to to keep track of stuff. Healthcare is a, is another very good uh, instance where we have, you know, issues with healthcare. We we don't want to uh, give a patient data to people that uh, uh, that don't need to see it, uh, and so we keep this the patient data very secret in a lot of countries. Yet um, uh, there are times when a provider, a, a service provider, a healthcare technician needs to see that data. And they can't see the data because we, we keep it so private. Lots of big issues with the current uh, database structure. Now, in your in your mind, uh, you're probably familiar with with Bitcoin. Yes. So so imagine Bitcoin and understand that there are 16.8 million Bitcoins uh, currently. Okay. There, there'll be 21 million at the peak, but right now there are 16.8. Uh, they're worth anywhere, somewhere between six and seven thousand dollars today, and the price fluctuates. Um, but these 16.8 million Bitcoin have been fractionalized tens of thousands of times. What does that mean? That means that the ownership of the coin has changed hands, and it has gone from a, a company that originally mined it to fractions of it. In other words, someone paid, a, 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 someone got transferred, and and Uh, someone transferred a half a Bitcoin uh, to a wallet for goods and services, and that person bought a, a, a cup of coffee and then, you know, 
uh, th these are all transactions that were done in, in, in Bitcoin. So each one of these coins has been fractionalized tens of thousands of times. Now, each one of these fractions, we can tell you this very second, which wallet or who owns every single fraction, every single tens of thousands of fractions of each of these 16.8 million Bitcoins, we can tell you exactly who owns every single fraction 100% accurately, 100% of the time, at any one given second. And we can tell you who owns every single fraction of every single Bitcoin the last second, uh, who owned every single uh, fraction of every single Bitcoin last week, last month, last year, uh, going all the way back to the beginning of that coin, which we call it the Genesis coin. So this is all cap on a distributed ledger that is immutable and hackable and can be changed. Um, and it's very, uh, very accurate. It is 100% accurate 100% of the time. That's something we don't have in uh, in, in databases today. D databases can be hacked and there's honeypots that people try and hack. And so we've kind of turned that inside out. We've distributed the database, making it unhackable. And we've also published it and made it very public so that everyone can understand what every transaction is on it. Kind of a different way of, of doing business. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> and also, as you said, um, Bitcoins also are a good way, for example, to, I would say, a good sense of transparency. Because as you said, we can see who did what on a particular Bitcoin. But also, it can apply to smart contracts. So maybe if you can explain us what are those smart contracts. Ah, okay. Well, um, so Bitcoin, we kind of understand Bitcoin now. Um, we can, if we have a, a, a wallet with some Bitcoin in it, we can transfer it to someone else's wallet uh, and we can do it within a matter of seconds and, and an extremely low cost. These transactions are done without the benefit of an intermediary. What do I mean by intermediary? Bank, uh, Visa MasterCard network or, or anything of that nature. Uh, it goes across borders. So, If I'm uh, um, in the United States and I transfer money to someone in India, I can do that uh, with Bitcoin and it gets done very quickly. If I do that with my bank, it might take four or five days and it might never get there. So that's the what we call the Internet of Value. Now, the next thing that you've asked is about these things called smart contracts. And smart contracts are the inter Internet of Trust. We're able to transmit or or uh, send trust from one place to the next, and we do that in, in using smart contracts. And I'll give you an example of that. I'm I'm here in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, I want to buy I want to buy a '65 Ford pickup because I really like the way they look. And un unfortunately, here in Phoenix, Arizona, there's a lot of cowboys, and you know a lot of the cowboys like that '65 Ford pickup, so. They're very difficult to get a hold of. I've got $10,000 I want to spend, and I can't find one for less than $15,000. So I, I start looking further, and I find one in Detroit, Michigan, and it's uh, uh, $8,500. That's great. I mean, so I have a, a choice now. I can I can take $8,500 in a cashier's check, and I can send it to the guy in Detroit, Michigan. I'll never see my money, and, and I'll never see my truck. Um, or... I can take um, $8,500 in cash and 
I can fly to Detroit, Michigan, give him the eight thousand five hundred, and then I can, I can, uh, uh, I, I can hope that the car, the truck is good enough that it drives home without issues, or I can do a thing called escrow.com. Escrow.com is a a, quali- a quantitative analysis, not a qualitative. So no no transfer of trust, and and, and it kind of works like this. So I I set up escrow.com, and I call the guy in, in Detroit and say, look. I've set up this escrow account. It's got eighty five hundred bucks in it. You can verify it. Uh, you're the assignee on the uh, on the escrow.com account. And if you um, if you send me the truck, I get it. Uh, escrow.com will transfer the the funds. And that sounds okay, except well, let's look at the the case where 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 the the gentleman who is selling me the truck, uh, his brother shows up the day before and says, look. You're selling that truck, and the tires are really, really good. Uh, the tires on my truck aren't so good, and they have the same bolt pattern. Do you, do you mind if we swap out the the uh, the tires? And at this point, he has a quantitative analysis at the end of the transaction, not a qualitative analysis. So he says, "Sure, yeah, no problem." They swap out swap out the the bald tires now in my truck, and then they leave the window open because they're really not concerned with qualitative analysis. So I get my truck. It's got bald tires and uh, mildew in the cab. But the um, uh, escrow.com says, did you get a pickup truck? I said, yes, I, I got a pickup truck, and they automatically transmit the money. So it's a quantitative and not a qualitative analysis. We use smart contracts to do both in in this thing called transfer of trust. And the way that would work is I, I would call the, the gentleman in Detroit and say, look, I've set up a smart contract, and I'm going to pay you in Ethereum. Or I'm going to pay you in in, uh, uh, in in Bitcoin. Bitcoin's a little more difficult to do smart contracts with, so we're going to st- stick with Ethereum. But I'm going, to, I'm going to pay you in Ethereum, and we're going to set up a smart contract, and the smart contract's going to go like this. I'm, I'm going to find a towing company that will uh, uh, agree to take Ethereum, and they'll agree to charge me 150 bucks to transport the pickup truck from Detroit to Phoenix. And Mr. Seller, you're going to agree to take $150 worth of Ethereum and deposit it into this smart contract. And if I get my truck back and it is not as uh, uh, as advertised, I'm automatically going to execute the smart contract and have the $150 that you deposited used to transport the, uh, the truck back to you. Um, so in this case, I have $150. I deposited the smart contract in Ethereum. I have $8,500 in Ethereum. It's in the smart contract. The guy in Detroit has deposited $150 in Ethereum. The, the company comes in, the transport company comes to pick it up. And uh, uh, the day before they pick it up, the brother comes over and says, look, I, uh, I don't, my tires are bald. Do you mind if we swap about? The guy thinks about it and says, look, at the end of this transaction, there's not only a qual- quantitative analysis, but also qualitative. I need to make sure that it's in good shape. Um, can we? Uh, 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 I, I, I'm not going to swap them out to you, and, and, and I'll be right back. I'm going to go to the, the car wash and make sure the car is all good and washed and cleaned and smells nice and has a nice air freshener in it and that all the windows are rolled up. So when I get it, it's, it's, it, it's as uh, represented um, I go ahead and execute the smart contract. The smart contract transfers the $8,500 to the guy in Detroit. Um, it also gives him his $150 back, and it gives uh, $150 to the transportation. 
And that's all done without anyone pressing a button, without anyone deciding to do anything, without anyone uh, intervening, without a government, without Visa, MasterCard, or anything of that nature. It's all it's all self-executed. So it becomes like a if this, then that kind of an argument for money. Does that make any sense? Yes. Thank you for the clear explanation. So you talk about trust, and especially in your example between people, but what about the trust between the people and the government? Because now we have blockchain, but do we need to still have some kind of government as we have a it's a neutral system which allows you to have some trust between people? Well, that, that's, a, that's the question I think a lot of people are working on right now. Um, and I think it's very important. I think that when we start looking at governments, we can look at them as intermediaries in some cases. We can look at them as, as friction providers in some cases. We can look at them as you know, deal prevention in some cases. Uh, where with, with blockchain, blockchain really doesn't care about borders. Now, we in 2017 and 2018, we had this thing called ICOs, ICO craze. It was completely and totally unregulated. Um, it went berserk. It was uh, we, we had more transactions in the ICO industry than we had in the entire venture capital industry. The private equity industry shrunk in half. Um, and um, uh, Main Street, as far as the Wall Street, started investing in equity in these, these ICOs, and it was just crazy. It was unregulated, um, and it went horribly wrong, in my estimation. I, I, you know, I think, in my estimation, in 2017 and 2018, we, we learned a couple of things. We learned that the capability of Main Street to invest in equity in small corporations quickly outstripped the capability of Wall Street to invest in those same types of opportunities. Um, massive numbers. And we also learned that the capability of mankind to lie, steal, and cheat, uh, to lie, steal, and cheat from one another uh, is just basically unbounded. And they, and they begin to use even more and more, uh, you know, thought-provoking ways to steal and cheat from one another. Uh, the ICO craze that we had was was didn't not turn out well, especially for those in the United States, where now the SEC is is raking back and and trying to uh, to uh, to set some regulations. And I think that regulation is necessary. I think that there are a lot of people that have gone to, we can, we can mention places like Malta and like Venezuela that have, you know, less reg regulation and have uh, created some regulation uh, that is crypto friendly. Uh, one of the things we're beginning to see that is that in these smaller, uh, smaller countries that have, have created cryptocurrency friendly regulations. They've done it very quickly. And we've also seen it where they've turned it the other way very quickly also, where people have come into these countries like Malta and, and because of, of, of regulation that benefited them only to find out that that regulation can change at the, at the drop of a hat. So commitments are rather difficult. So I, I think we do need some sort of regulation. I, I, I don't think that it's, you know, a single country that, That needs to regulate. I think, I think there should be some sort of a uh, a consortium that gets together and provides a, uh, th this type of regulation. But I don't, I don't see that happening in the in the future. What I can tell you is, at this point, there's there 
there are definitely two types of economies. Um, one of them is a fiat economies that are surrounded by countries that issue this fiat currency that may or may not be backed by anything. And there are uh, there's another uh, economy, and it's the cryptocurrency economy. Um, and the cryptocurrency economy is is one that is formed uh, with currencies that do specific things very well. Um, that uh, uh, that record um, small transactions from hundreds of thousands of devices called IOTA, the Internet of Things. That's a that's a token. That's a um, kind of a uh, of a currency. Um, you, you've got Bitcoin. You've got Ethereum. You've got all these kinds of different things, and they're all very good at doing a specific thing. Um, so you've got the the fiat um, uh, economies, and you have the crypto economies, and I can tell you that one of those groups is growing and one of those groups is shrinking. Um, and, you know, we can let the listeners guess who, 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 who that is. But uh, I, I think this is going to continue and, and I think there'll come a tipping point where some sort of regulation will be, uh, uh, will be set in place. Okay, see, I was wondering because we all know, for example, the dollar is supposed to be based on the value of the gold. And uh, do you think that countries should I don't know, create their own national crypto money or uh, crypto coins, like I don't know, the dollar coins or the euro coins and so on? I think that's a bad idea. Can you just explain why? <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious to know. <laughs> um, well, I, I mean... We have different countries who have their own um, currencies. By the way, the dollar is not gold back. Uh, that we uh, uh, Richard Nick Nixon in 1968 took the United States off the gold standard. Okay. Uh, the currency is you cannot uh, exchange a dollar for the equivalent amount of gold any longer. We're we're just a fiat currency like everyone else, and um, countries like Venezuela that you know, have had issues with printing more and more money. Um, I mean, you know, I can remember when a billion dollars in Venezuela was a lot of money. And it's not anymore. No. Uh, and that's because the Venezuelan government just prints more and more money to, to pay its debts and, and, and do what it wants to do. There's no value in the Venezuelan dollar because there's no value in the Venezuelan uh, economy that, that, can be regulated by this Venezuelan dollar, which, which makes cryptocurrency very, very attractive in these types of countries. But I, I, but if you look at value and you start looking at, at uh, the way cryptocurrencies work, they're very good at specific things. Um, Ethereum is very good at smart contracts and, and doing different kinds of business transactions. Uh, Bitcoin is, is very good at, at large transactions. If you want to move a, a, a million dollars, um, moving a million dollars worth of Bitcoin is much easier than using the banking institutions and moving it in the United States or moving it into the Soviet Union or, or moving it into the European Union or moving it into India. Okay. So Bitcoin is much easier. So it's kind of these large transactions and Bitcoin has also become known as a, a, a fairly safe way to, to, to save money. And again, You know, do your own due diligence. I'm not a, 
um, uh, a, uh, uh, an investment advisor. But there's other types of coins that do other types of things and do them well. Um, and the, the, the value of these coins is in the utility of them being able to do that. The value of Ethereum is in, in, is in the value of these smart contracts that we're writing and, and self-executing and uh, disintermediating uh, brokers and agents and things of this nature and doing transactions a thousand times quicker and a hundred times less expensive. I mean, so there's value here. When, when, when we have a value, when we have a, a, a sovereign country that says, look, here is our cryptocurrency. The, the next thing I do is go, what, what does it do? Um, and, and how do I get value out of it? Um, and, and if I'm in the United States, how do I value that? And uh, I mean, for instance, Dubai, um, a very good, a, 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 a very good, Example of this is Dubai and the Dubai Land Department. You can Google the Dubai Land Department. And so they're, they're doing their own blockchain and their own currency. And they're doing it so that they can facilitate uh, payment of visas and payment of, of um, uh, electric bill and heating bills and things of this nature. So you don't have to use the Visa MasterCard network. You, know, you, you can just use it with crypto, cryptocurrencies. Um, you can do it from a wallet and do it very little transaction, and, and they're very into cryptocurrencies. They also, um, uh, you can also pay your, uh, on the DLD, you'll be able to pay your, your land, uh, your taxes, things of this nature, and they track who's, who, uh, where, where, who's living in the house, what's the status of their visa, these types of things. So the Dubai Land Department is putting something together and has, has their own cryptocurrencies per se, but it has useful utility. Um, in in uh, in that sovereign nation, but very little use, useful uh, uh, utility outside of that sovereign nation, where things like Ethereum and Bitcoin and things of this nature, th their value is cross borders. Okay. So, Michael, thank you for your, all your insightful information. So, I have a last and more personal question: Is what was your most memorable trouble? I travel a lot. Um, I, I, I speak at engagements in the United States probably once a month or so. I mean, I, 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 I spoke at 2018. I was at 16 different um, blockchain events. It's April of 2019, and I've been to four events this year, and I've got another eight that are scheduled. So I'm, my travel is down a little bit, but I really, you know, enjoy San Francisco. Um, I enjoy Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Um, Austin is really kind of a, 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 an interesting town. How so? Uh, Austin is a, a kind of a hotbed for technology. It's some very, very smart people living in Austin. I think that there's... Uh, Austin is becoming more or less the hub for this kind of fintech kind of stuff that's happening more so than Silicon Valley at this point. Um, Denver, Colorado, if you're into blockchain, Denver is a great place to travel. Um, East Denver, uh, I was at the East Denver event here not too long ago. Um, East Denver, I think, is the fourth largest Ethereum meetup in the world. Um, and East Denver is kind of their yearly meetup. Uh, I think there was four or five thousand people there. 
uh, working on different types of blockchain uh, uh, projects. Uh, lots of good speakers. I, I, I was there. I don't know if I'm a good speaker or not, but they, uh, they've asked me to come back again next year. So maybe that's some sort of an indication. So, you know, those are, uh, you know, those are the kinds of places I like to, to, to travel as, as places where there is a, you know, a hub of activity where I, I could meet and greet people that are doing interesting things in the blockchain space. Okay. And also, did you went outside of the U.S. recently? Um, this year, I'll be in London, and I think that's it at this point. So I'll be in London this year for Elevate. That's E-L-E-V-8, the number eight. Uh, Elevator, so uh, they do four events a year that that, that I'm pretty well involved in. Um, Los Angeles, New York, uh, London, and uh, Las Vegas. Okay. So, Michael, thank you for your time. And uh, how can we reach you? Um, my email address is michael at blockchainconsultants.io. I'm very approachable and very reachable on LinkedIn. Just look me up, Michael Noel CBP. Uh, the CBP stands for Certified Blockchain Professional, and yeah, there's such a thing. Um, it's actually certified by one of the largest groups that does a lot of the Cisco certifications and things of this nature. So um, uh, just look me up, Michael Noel CBP. Very easy to get. Uh, send me a, a, an invite. I'll connect with you and. Uh, Very easy to, to connect and have conversations there. So, Michael, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. It was fun. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thanks, Evan.